Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Dan Dockett joins us in 20 minutes. Glad you're with us across the OutKick network. We say hello to Sports Radio 104.7 in the Upper Cumberland, Fox Sports Shoals in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, Huntsville, and Florence. And Somo Sports Radio in Missouri. Shout out to everyone listening. You can hit us up on Twitter uh, and let us know where you're listening today. At Outkick360. Adding a station to the network on Monday. Looking forward to that. And speaking of next week, we will be live in Los Angeles. Leading up to Super Bowl 56. This all is my, week first, long. Uh, my first trip to L.A. Uh, you, you guys were with me on my first ever trip to California, to San Francisco for the Super Bowl, what, six years ago now? Yes. Yeah, I think six years six. ago. Yes, that's right. Wow. And uh, this will be my first ever trip to L.A., so I'm really looking forward to it, looking forward wings. to the coverage. Yeah. Really spreading your wings. We'll take, uh, we'll take Withrow to Compton while we're there. Yes, no. yes. In and out <laughs> burger for another, another time. I, rem- I remembered, I just had some, uh, one of those memory things that hit you on your, on your photos. Yep. On your phone, and there was one of us at In-N-Out Burger near the Golden Gate Bridge, I think. Yeah. yeah. We went to um, an In-N-Out Burger, I believe, uh, at the Wharf. Yeah. The, the, not Fisherman's Wharf. Is that in uh, Seattle? Am I confusing no, the wharf? No, Fisherman's Wharf is in San Francisco. Yeah, I think we went to an In-N-Out Burger in, in Fisherman's Wharf. On the same trip that we went to the Golden Gate Bridge. It was very romantic. I, I look forward to my return to California and uh, my first trip to L.A. for the Super Bowl. It's Read your fun. thoughts. So, wait a minute. You went to a place where they're literally – Unloading fresh seafood right, right in front of it. And well, had we a, had that too. Had we a had a lot of seafood. We had a, a, a <laughs> this Hutt, was lunch. Hutton had the key recommendation on the trip from I believe your aunt. Yes, my the aunt, Dungeness Joanne. Crab Roll at what was the name of the place? Uh, I've got Woodhouse? a T-shirt. Woodhouse Fish Shop. Woodhouse Fish it. Shop. That yeah. was a, one of the. They had that Food Network show. The, the the chefs. The greatest thing I ever ate. Best thing I ever ate. And it's a chef describing where they were and it was what they unbelievable. ate. This is one of the best things I've ever yeah. eaten. And it I think great. I missed that meal because I was at the ESPN dinner where I had to go kiss ass, <laughs> at, which obviously I didn't succeed. Didn't, which didn't which didn't you enjoy out. much more than crab, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Didn't, I didn't, didn't succeed. Much like Brian Flores, they'd already decided to get rid of Paul before that dinner. <laughs> Paul, you are, their meeting with you was after they had uh, uh, already interviewed. They had given a raise to, who's your, buddy, who's your, who's your guy in Detroit no, no, that no, you went up on? Oh, yeah. Rothstein. Yeah, Rothstein. Rothstein. They decided to re-up Rothstein, and then a day later they met with you for drinks. Rothstein wanted after Nashville. After they decided to keep him on. He wanted Nashville very badly, but he had to settle five years later for Atlanta. I have, to, I have to tell the story He went from now. one of the worst cities in, in America to another. We, so, were, uh, we were at the, uh, the Combine <laughs> yes. in Indy. And last day we're there, we're packing up, doing our old radio show. We leave the Combine, and we're going down an escalator, and Rothstein is going up the escalator. The timing was perfect. And, I mean, it's the, and we're at the same angle. The escalator is packed with media members. We're passing people. each other at the midway point of the escalator going up and down. Yes. It's that perfect. It was like a movie scene. Yes. And Paul just shouted something to Rothstein like, 
Hey, keep trying for Nashville, Rothstein. Maybe next contract they'll give you a keep good Keep trying city. for my job. So keep trying to take my job, Rothstein. Really appreciate so you. So news of <laughs> he said something like, "Oh yeah, Paul. Typical Paul. Typical New, Paul." News of my contract not being renewed by ESPN had come out. Um, it was like right, that, right, right before the draft, or right before. No, you told us this was happening on our drive to Indy. That this is what you had just found out. Well, no, because I announced it in a tweet right before we went on the air on a Monday. That was right before I would have gone to Bristol, Connecticut to film the pre-draft show. It's right before the draft. So this was the year later. But what got back to me is, so I only told a couple buddies at ESPN this was going down. And they were just in the middle of the first big meeting of the summit, the annual get-together where they talk about all the business of the blog network. The summit. And so only a few guys knew about it, and everybody was sworn to secrecy and stuff. I tweeted it right before we went on the air, and we were starting at noon at that, at that time. And I tweeted it right when we were going on the air and right when they were coming back from lunch at their meeting. And so everybody up there was abuzz about it and what's going on and, and texting me, you know, wanting to know what's going on and with sympathies and with concerns and stuff. And Rothstein, or they maybe were just breaking for lunch, and I was told that Rothstein went directly to the big bosses to ask about if he could get the Nashville job. And then that led to... So a year later at the combine, I, I also next I think it's something you probably would have done as well had you had that news. If, if you, you really Detroit, wanted something, if you're in Detroit. If you weren't great friends with someone and didn't know them, I don't think you would be so quick to uh, give a real gushy. You're not a real gushy text guy. Hey, you were really great at your job. Sorry to hear the news. You probably would be texting your boss. I want Nashville. Well, you have to know Rothstein. <laughs> Rothstein is See, Rothstein. I know you, and I'm telling you what you would have done. Well, remember when, which is exactly what Rothstein did. Remember when Matt Patricia said, hey, "Why don't you sit up? You you so you're such a slob down there." Matt Patricia calling somebody right. a slob right. and asking him about his posture, and the guy didn't stand up for himself. That was Rothstein. He's meek. That was Rothstein. <laughs> yeah, he's, he, he, he was very, uh, he seemed like. He's uh, Gumby. He has no yeah, backbone. A shrieking violin. When you talk to him on the, he didn't bow up. He kind yeah. of wilted when right. you talk to him yeah, on the yeah. escalator. Yeah. Now Arthur Smith gets to deal with him every day. <laughs> Rothstein. Love that story. You put a recommendation with, uh, with Arthur about that. Uh, the sympathy card. Yeah. <laughs> so here's uh, go, the, the, the story with Brian Flores, what I'm thinking of last night and, and this morning as he's making the rounds is when he tells the story that, you know, the Giants had already decided who they were hiring prior to his interview. I don't think that's uncommon with many places uh, across the league and for that matter, uh, in, in many lines of work. How many times did they go through, uh, have, have you heard of friends uh, knowing that they're getting a job, but they have to uh, put something live on Post on it. the website to go through protocol. Th- this happens all the time. So the, the the shock value that somehow you know the Giants knew they were going to hire Brian Dayball. I'm not surprised by that in the least, considering that the new general manager came from Buffalo, and they uh, they also interviewed Leslie Frazier for a second time prior to going with Brian Dayball. That that part to me is not like uh, headline worthy because I, I think it happens in all kinds of lines of work, regardless of race or gender. Um, a, a lot of times they post an opening for three days and 
someone will know they're already getting the position. I, I liken it to, you know, it's almost like you're tr- change my mind. You know, you kind of know when the process starts who we want, we're leaning to. You interview that person and they confirm what you thought about them and you, you feel like you want to hire them, but there are still interviews that take place after the fact just to see if someone else is going to persuade you another direction and give them a chance. Um, a casting director, for instance, may see someone come in and audition for a part and say, that's our Paul Koharski in the story of Outkick 360. This is the perfect Paul Koharski, but let's let everyone else come through and see if they can change our mind. But I feel like that's the person. You hear stories like that all the time that they still wanted to see more and not just jump to that first conclusion and know it was them, even if they knew it was them. I'd agree with that, and that's the nature of things. But I certainly think the league doesn't want uh, wants people to fight against that and the like when they're making such a big deal out of these efforts and acting as if they're changing their practices and making a concerted effort to change their practices well, let and me, pump, uh, doing commercials about their diversity but, efforts well, and, the, and but all they're, of that. They're doing that, and they're, they're changing their practices by getting coaches in front of general managers, in front of ownership, who otherwise would not be called in to interview. Uh, that was what the rule is in place for. So the next hiring cycle, you remember people and you bring them back in for another chat or you recommend them whenever, if you're the assistant general manager, you're headed to Tampa Bay or Miami or wherever it might be and you're hiring someone new there. Um, the, I mean, every athletic director in the country and ever, every general manager or team president right now has a list in their drawer of coaches they'll go to the next time there's a coaching opening. So literally everybody's doing what the media right now is criticizing the Giants for doing. Yeah, there's and, already a list in the drawer. Well, I think that also it hurts it hurts the validity of saying this is racially motivated because they had already interviewed Leslie Frazier. So this was not right. a Rooney rule. Along with another Yeah, Patrick minority. Graham. Yes. So they had already fulfilled their Rooney rule requirement and they still wanted to talk to Brian Flores I think he has more of an argument if uh, you go back to the old days, the Rooney Rule, where it was only one interview you had to conduct, and it's done clearly after you know news is broken, someone's been hired, and oh, we got to get this person in here to interview. That's where you're going to really hurt some feelings and not look very professional in doing so. The other part of this with the Broncos, Broncos had a pretty strong response to this where they said mm-hmm. the interview was three and a half hours. Which was the maximum it was, time. It was in a Providence, Rhode Island hotel. Uh, where we did it, it was very professional. There were four other people there. We have notes. Yeah, I mean, they didn't say, you know, John Elway didn't go out drinking the night before in the statement. They said the interview was very professional, very thorough. It also left room, though, that um, Elway and I'm I'm forgetting the name of the executive didn't have to be there for all three and a half hours of, of that. You know, so I think both could be right. Denver could be saying we conducted very professionally, blah, blah, blah. And it could have been the three other executives for the first hour. And he could be saying, look, I didn't feel like they took me very seriously because Elway and the president didn't slink in until an hour into it. And to me, they didn't seem that interested and they were hung over. Well, the, so uh, I, I'm trying to figure out how Stephen Ross, who's named in this as a part of this uh, the, the, the racial allegations against the NFL, it's in the same suit. The, the owner who hired the, the minority coach is somehow racist because he wanted him to lose on purpose and tank. That's tied in with all this. That doesn't link up. It doesn't. It, that, that's not. So 
let's separate the, the allegations here. The allegations of racism against Stephen Ross have nothing to do with him, the more I read into this, have nothing to do with him being bribed to lose games. It's the fact that they, quote, portrayed him as an angry black man, when and that's why they had to fire him. Yeah. And they said, I was... Basically, so, their so argument they kept is the, the happy black man as their general the, manager. The, like that's the yes, response. The lawyer's argument is he's just a football coach, and white football coaches get away with this all the time, being difficult, being demanding. He was doing nothing different. But in that organization, and according to Stephen Ross, once he's fired, it's oh they're portraying him like an angry black man. We just heard from Albert Breer, who said there are stories about how difficult he was and how bad it was in Miami. Well, look how many coaches he And there's he went the through. churn of coaches yes. to prove that also. So, again, if we're looking at what can you allege versus what can you prove, the evidence doesn't stack up in Brian Flores' favor on that one. There's a lot of people saying there is a problem in the NFL uh, with hiring minority coaches, and it is very clickish in how owners hire coaches. And those same people are also saying, but Brian Flores is not the right example of this. A guy who had a job, a guy who lost the job because he couldn't get along with anyone. Again, I, don't, I didn't cover the Dolphins, but there are plenty of people saying this. You know who should have been filing this lawsuit if you really wanted to, uh, to get some change done? David Coley. Yeah. Who was basically hired as a patsy for a year, who thought he was getting his dream job and dream opportunity, and then was fired as an African-American head coach. But, but it, when Brian Flores does it, this all goes back to sort of the Colin Kaepernick thing. You know, is it the message or the messenger? And when the messenger is, is off, then the message gets lost. And that may be what happens here because I'm reading this lawsuit. I don't see anything where racist allegations would stick in regards to anything that happened to Brian Flores. I just don't. Now, the Stephen Ross stuff and the bribery to lose games, that's big time. Well, I'll also say what I haven't seen are the, the national writers who are you know, pointing to the racist allegations here and what's in this lawsuit, they're also not saying that Denver. I'm go, going through all the the hires that have already been made, where the the white coaches are currently head coaches. They're not slamming them for making a a, a bad decision on Nathaniel Hackett and the Broncos because they're eventually going to go to Nathaniel Hackett to be a source on something. They need that relationship, so it goes both ways here. Like they're 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 on the side of Flores, but they're also not knocking the hires at all. Well, they're not saying that the hires are unqualified, and that's the insinuation here: is that the, the the hires that these organizations ultimately made, those guys aren't qualified, and they passed up on candidates who were. I, I'll, back to the Ross thing for a second. I think Ross could be fine hiring a minority and change his stripes more quickly later as a reaction to certain stuff that doesn't look good at the very least. In terms of those coaches, I but, mean, there are certainly qualified white coaches out there. Nathaniel Hackett's not a bad hire, and you can like some of the uh, uh, Hackett some nearly of the, got the, the uh, hires. A, a job last year. Yeah, I, I don't think you have to say Nathaniel Hackett's a bad hire. At the same time, you're saying Byron Leftwich would also be a good hire, and why is he not? Why are one of these four teams well, not can, closing on him? That's an easy they might, answer. They might hire. He doesn't want to work with Trent Balky. That's yeah, the he, answer. He had a job. Well, it, there's also New Orleans and Miami and Minnesota who aren't acting on Byron Leftwich or on, on Gerard Mayo. Or... I, here's the weird thing, though. I really think Brian Flores was going to get one of those other jobs. I still think he was one of the best coaches on the market, given, given what he did in Miami. And I thought he was going to get, just like a lot of other retread coaches, going to get another opportunity. 
Him filing this lawsuit now tells me he just really wanted that Giants job. I don't know how much he's wanting to coach one of these other teams or how into well, these other opportunities uh, he, he, of, he wants. He's still interviewing with the Saints either today or tomorrow, right? Can you hire but him now? when you admit that, I know this hurts you. my chances. He's suing you, technically, yeah, if you hire him. But if you're convinced that the system yeah. is rigged and you're not getting an opportunity because of your skin color, then wait till everyone else passes on you if you really want to be a head coach and then file this lawsuit. Timing is curious. That's what's very odd with this whole decision. I I would agree with that. Um, I I mean, somebody I want to hear from. It strikes me as someone who's very hurt by this process, was very hurt how it went down in Miami, understandably so. Very hurt to go do a four-hour interview where he knew already from his previous boss that he wasn't getting the job and another Brian was getting the job and his previous boss confused the two and and acted on that hurt. Somebody, And he even said, I was very hurt when he filed this lawsuit. It, it, it strikes me as that move more than a, okay, this has happened far too often. We're going to take our time, build the case, and file it at the right time. Somebody I think is out of the mix hut for the rest of these jobs is Jim Caldwell. He did get a second chance. I think he got fired at bad timing in Detroit. His replacement was an inexperienced white guy who was terrible in Matt Patricia. I'd like to hear from Jim Caldwell. Well, what uh, they know, know if he felt like he had any sham interviews along the I way mean, look, or, or whatever. But I mean, Jim Caldwell was out, and they brought what they decided to do was pair a general manager with the head coach. You know, for you could point to Matt Patricia. What they did is they chose their general manager. Their general manager ended up being Bob Quinn right. of the Patriots, and they who brought a, who brought Patricia with him. No different than what the Raiders just did. Well, the lawsuit brings up examples like Steve Wilkes. Steve Wilkes is out quickly in Arizona with a very similar record with Josh Rosen as quarterback as a rookie as the following year Cliff Kingsbury had with Kyler Murray as a rookie. And Cliff Kingsbury still has a job these many years later. And Cliff Kingsbury was hired as a losing college coach. That's a good argument. Where's Steve Wilkes in this class action lawsuit? Well, we'll see. Let's see that. I mean, that's. But Steve Wilkes is probably coordinating somewhere right now, right? So does he want to preserve his career or does he want to join the lawsuit? If you want to get some heft on these allegations, then those illustrations you're putting in your lawsuit, let's get the principals involved in that and hear hear their story. We're we're not hearing that right now. Well, it's only been a day. Well, but it's only been a day, but people are already choosing sides, which is odd to me. Like, I, I, I want to see things play out before determining one side or the other. And if I'm sitting here asking questions of like, okay, they don't, he, he's claiming that he was the minority interview in New York. They interviewed two others. Why, why, if you're, if you're going to just go through that protocol because you have to, why? And, and that's the only reason why would you go through the protocol three other times and waste everyone's time, including your own. If you know who you're going to hire. Steve Wilkes is defensive coordinator at Missouri. So is he, he, is he at Missouri hoping for he, a chance to get back terrible. in the league? Their defense was awful this year, and he was uh, possibly going to lose his job. Here's the other thing, too. Uh, th- this is far too often what happens if people can't come to grips with it. Two things can be true here. There could be an issue with certain owners in the NFL being too cliquish and setting their ways and not looking outside the box and not talking to enough people uh, that may help their organization because they're not in their inner circle. That could be an issue, and it could hinder minority coaches from getting an opportunity to be a head coach. And Brian Flores 
could not be discriminated against also in this story because I haven't seen where that happened. And here's the other thing. Stephen Ross isn't racist. Stephen Ross may be an idiot for trying to bribe his head coach. Stephen Ross is not, he is not discriminating hires based on skin color. Look at his history. Look at his GM. That's a bad argument to make, that he's the guy out there discriminating against people. It just doesn't, doesn't hold water. I, I, I can see where you're going with that. I can also say he sends Flores out, tainting him in a way that maybe he doesn't deserve. I think he would have tainted Cliff Kingsbury if he was the coach, if he fired someone that a lot of people were asking, huh? After but, an eight-game winning streak in the season. I think he's just protecting the image of the team and why they did it and floating that out there to media to show why we did it. I think that would have been done to a white coach too. Now, Brian Flores is saying, but then the perception is from everyone is, oh, he's just an angry, quote, angry black guy, the phrase he used. I just think that's something that would have been done to cover yourself with a somewhat unpopular opinion in a lot of circles at the time with well, any coach. Well, ultimately though, what rule, and again, I, the Rooney rule is in place in order to get candidates in front of people that ultimately they were not sitting down across from, right, throughout the hiring process. Um, what more can be done ultimately from the 32 owners who can hire and fire whoever they so choose because that's the company they own. You know, that's the business they're running. If they want someone else running their team, regardless of record, they'll pull the plug and hire someone else. They will. But the league consistently says they are determined to change it. So they're well. They're, they can't force them to hire anybody. Their own quotes are supporting evidence in this suit. I mean, if you read the suit, they're quoting Troy Vincent saying, "We're a failure. We we want this to change, and we we're not changing it. Our record is pitiful. All all of these things. He's given them supporting evidence to what." The claimant is saying. And I said it yesterday. I'll say it again. I'll be shocked if a minority coach or two not hired by these other jobs after this lawsuit. Well, one of them could be hired by the end of the day to hear the Harbaugh talk last night, which made it sound like it was a formality. Uh, well, he's I, meeting with them today in Minnesota. I'm going to be shocked if with all this going on, we don't see that. Could be wrong, but and I'll again, be shocked. I'll, I'll ask the question. The minority general manager who was just hired in Minnesota is going to go with Jim Harbaugh. Who he's friends with. Is that racist? No. 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 Well, just like I said it's earlier. connected. They're friends from that's San the, Francisco. That's the football business. Yeah, Brian Flores hired three different offensive coordinators to lead his offensive coordinator. They were all white guys. Not racist. He hired who he thought was best for the job. And, uh, again, I think ultimately that's what these owners are doing. They're not always the right call. Like, a lot of these owners a lot of times don't know what they don't know yeah. when it comes to football and hiring the so right people guy. People are bad at hiring coaches. I mean, oh, of course. there's... That, that in all sports, that's why they're constantly firing people. I think there's been like 115 coaches in five years hired. Ridiculous. I mean, look at the look at the longevity on uh, after Pete Carroll, who's the longest serving coach in the NFC. Uh, I think it's like McVay or Shanahan. It's McVay or Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah. It, well, McVay. Yeah. It's crazy. That is nuts. Coming up, Dan Dockage weighs in. We'll also get his. Uh, take on some college hoops action going on. What an atmosphere last night between Texas Tech and Texas. We'll get Dan's thoughts on that much more next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming up, we'll weigh in on Harbaugh to the Vikings. That's the expectation. The Washington Commanders are coming to a stadium near you and much more. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Fun Outkick show. network. Fun show. The network includes Don't At Me with Dan Dockage. Oh, yes. And Daniel. Dan's the man. He January joins us is weekly. over. January is complete. We're into February now. Dan, who, who hope you're doing the well. Month? What's that? I was just seeing if any uh, yeah, of these who guys wants wanted the, the who month. Who wants the month of February uh, oh, now? Oh, jeez. I asked Dylan if the background was fixed, and he said yes, and we get you in your damn car. <laughs> <laughs> I got a, I'm driving to North Carolina. I'm, I'm headed to Elon, North Carolina. My son coaches at Elon, and they got a game Thursday. I think it's against William and Mary, and then Saturday against Charleston. So my wife and I, we're going, baby. We're going. Uh, you know who was going last night were uh, Texas Tech fans in, in that game. What an atmosphere, Dan. Uh, the night before the game, giving the, the, the middle finger salute to Chris Beard and his return, the atmosphere in that arena, best I've seen all year in college basketball. And I think college sports could use a nice dose of this more often. Actual hatred for another coach yeah. or another school. It was great to watch last night. I could not agree more. You know, one of the things we, I think, has been screwed up in college basketball is neutral site games. Um, you know, conference season, you play at home. Like, Indiana, Kentucky, Kentucky fans, well, they don't need Indiana. Okay, fine. But it's a great rivalry. When Indiana goes to Rupp Arena, there's yelling, there's screaming. When Indiana came, or when Kentucky came to IU, it's yelling and screaming. We need way more of that in college basketball. I feel like this, fellas. I feel like football, you get that every week. I do. And I know it's one game a week and all that, but you get that every week. I don't feel like you get that enough in college hoops. And, you know, I remember, I, I think I've told you this story. I picked up 75 cents off the court when I was playing at Indiana from Purdue fans. I, I got four fouls in the first half and I was coming off and they're throwing things at me. And I picked up 75 and I told Steve Alford, my team, I go, I just made some money here tonight. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I like it. I do. I, I thought it was great. Hey, and good for Texas Tech, man. They got the win against a, uh, you know, I don't think Chris Bird's got his program where he wants it, but Texas Tech sure does. It was good. It was really good. Let's stick with the hate theme in college sports. Uh, I find myself actively rooting against Will Wade uh, in LSU for, for, a, oh, yeah. for, for a number of reasons. And he probably likes it that way because he likes to be the villain. Um, is there a coach, maybe it's Will Wade, uh, in college basketball? Because now that you're back on Twitter, Dan, I feel like I know most of your feuds, even if it's some strength coach at Penn State or whoever you were going after recently. Uh, is there a coach that you truly actively root against currently coaching in college basketball? Yeah, and this is bad of me because Calvin Sampson hired me in 2007. I worked for him for a year, and – I know what he was about. I didn't know what he was about when I went there. Uh, and I saw what he did to the Indiana basketball program, program that's part of my soul. So I don't know that I actively root against him. Um, but I'm not, I'm not afraid to say on Twitter, like, hey, look, or here, that there's no way that guy's a Hall of Famer. I mean, he, he put two schools on probation. He cheated. And 
a lot of us that didn't cheat get affected by those that did cheat. So the truth of the matter is I'm not overly enthused about him. I I coached at uh, Bowling Green. Toledo was our rival. To this day, I don't want to see Toledo or Purdue be uber successful, although I must say I do like Matt Painter a lot. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's – if there's any other coaches, like I get into personal slights, like if somebody fired a friend of mine, uh, if somebody acted and cheated, Will Wade is certainly on that list. Samson's on that list. I don't have a lot of respect for those guys. Uh, but I'm, letting on. I'm not going to lie to you. There's a lot more. I don't know who the hell they are, but I'll figure it out as soon as I'm off this and I'll get mad at myself. <laughs> Dan Dockich uh, getting a call or a text or something. There he is. Uh, oh, I don't know. I, I don't know what happened. But I, I, I got a lot of guys. I got to think. I, this is, I got to get into some deep thought. I love Chris Beard. I want him to win every game. I love Shaka Smart. I want him to win every game. I love Tubby Smith. I got actually more guys that I like than dislike. You're a Rick Barnes guy, too. I big, feel like you, li- you like Rick Barnes also, right? You've told us that. I'm a big Rick Barnes fan. I'm not a big Penny Hardaway fan. Um, Big Ten, I like all those guys. Izzo and I, you can look it up, went at each other, but we're friends, pretty good friends. He's he's a great dude. But yeah, I don't know who I truly dislike. Samson, Will Wade, got to be a couple other guys. What was, Dan, what was your initial reaction to the Brian Flores story uh, when it broke? Because it, it feels like, I know we've been talking about it all day for us, every hour I feel like I read something different into it and there's another layer to this story. I know you talked about it on, on Don't At Me this morning, but what was the initial thought when you saw it? Um, if Brian Flores feels that way, good for him. Uh, you know, because you, you can always bitch, whine, and moan and not do anything about anything. But if he legitimately feels that way, which obviously does, then good for him. Um, you know, the legality of it, I don't know. You know, it looks to me. Uh, and I and I had a couple lawyers. I had a very good friend of mine who's one big shot lawyer here in India. He's a defense attorney. I had him on my show, and he said, "Look, you can allege anything in a lawsuit, but you got to be able to prove it, and you got to be able to prove." But I, I felt like Brian Flores and minority coaches in the NFL are a little like that Supreme Court justice that said, "You know what? I can I can't define pornography, but I know it when I see it." I feel like. You know, that's kind of the way guys feel. I don't know. I, I also, my other initial reaction was, you know, what a lousy organization the Miami Dolphins are if that's what they're doing. And, again, I asked an, an attorney who, who is a defense attorney, is that a federal crime to do what, you know, Stephen Ross is alleged to do? And his answer was it certainly could be, depending on the gaming laws and, but again, you got to prove it. I, I, I'm more about, hey, look, instead of sitting there complaining about it, do something about it if you feel strongly enough about it. And you know what? Good for Brian Flores for, for doing it. I think it's a big, I think it's, and I think it's a massive problem uh, for everybody associated with the Miami Dolphins. Hugh Jackson's also saying that uh, the the Browns had some kind of pay offer for him uh, when they were were trying to bottom out and and tank. Even if these aren't proven in this lawsuit, I'm thinking the mere appearance of the tanking on this level means the end of the draft as we know it ultimately 
and we're in line for an NFL lottery that that mimics something like the the NBA does. What do you think? Yeah, you know, Paul, one of the things that people brought up to me was, well, what's the difference between guys tanking in the NBA? Well, we've never heard of a coach being incentivized financially to tank, you know, and, and that's a big deal. You know, that's payment for fixing games. I mean, it really is. Uh, if, if I'm telling you that I'm going to give you $100,000 to do something, that's a hell of a lot different than me playing guys that are substitutes in, in NBA games. You know, incentivizing losses is fixing. That's what Arizona State did with Pancake Smith. That's what the Boston College guys did. That's what you go through anyway. Toledo football and Toledo basketball did that back uh, in, the, in the early 2000s. I mean, that's what it truly is. So I think it's a big difference. Like we ask here all the time in Indy, are the Pacers tanking? Because when you go to a Pacer game, they're basically their three best players are out, but they don't look like they're hurt. Uh, that's a hell of a lot different than telling a coach who directs who plays, how much they play, what plays are run, who the plays are for. Uh, we're going to give you $100,000 if you don't do your best. Well, I agree with you. I think that the NBA, or excuse me, the NFL draft is going to change. I certainly think the Rooney Rule a year from now, or whenever we get back into you know hiring cycles, is going to change. I also, you asked me what I thought initially. I got to tell you, I've always thought that the Rooney Rule was kind of a wink, wink. We know who we're going to hire, but we got to you know interview a minority candidate. Now. If that's true, that's no different than a lot of jobs. You know, a lot of jobs are like, hey, we know who we're going to hire, but we got to interview these four or five people. That happened to me actually when I got when I got hired by Calvin Sampson at Indiana. But you do have this rule in place. I think that rule. I think the draft are both dramatically going to change. And I also think Pat McAfee said today on my show, he goes, you know, this cuts at the core of players in the locker room. You know, and the suspicion of them, are they involved in taking as well? And that's not good. Dan Dockich, who tonight is a fan of the Phoenix, Elon. Uh, or is it tonight or tomorrow, Dan? Yeah, we got a Thursday night game and a Saturday night game. And in between, uh, we got a hell of a golf match between my wife and I, a lot of money. Well, the formerly uh, one of the greatest nicknames in all of sports, the Fighting Christians, of Elon, and they went away from yeah. that name to the Phoenix, but they were formerly more the peaceful. Elon Fighting Christians, they got which more I love. Peaceful. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we're going to, no tanking, no tanking at Elon. We're going to take the points um, and uh, we're going to lay those bad boys down yeah. on FanDuel tomorrow, whatever that spread comes out, and I can find it. There you go. Yeah. Follow my Twitter account. I'll have updates. All right. But, uh, Elon, either take the points or give the points, but don't, get a, don't bet against the Phoenix, and you're right. They were the fighting Christians. Last time I was there, I was in the elevator and I had a Elon shirt on. And an, an, an older lady asked me, she goes, uh, sir, do you know the original nickname? I said, no, but I assume it, it, it's something that passed away because the phoenix rises from the ashes. She was fighting Christians. I said, okay, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, Dan, Dan. Thank you. Always appreciate you, man. Thank you, guys. Say hello to the chauffeur. Say right. hello to the chauffeur. Mrs. Dockage there. Hello. She, she waved by as they fade away. 
into North she's, Carolina's wilderness. She's thrilled to be done with us. Yes. <laughs> All right. Can we get back to right, having back, some fun here? The, the, back hey, to the music. So in thinking about the, the tanking and the $100,000, one thing we know for sure, this year that was not going on. Jacksonville won in week 18 against the Colts. They're the number one pick. You've got the Jets who were battling for that. You had Houston. All of those teams at points throughout the season and down the stretch of the season were actually playing tight, close football games, believe it or not. All, and, and there, there's one other quick point. If you go back, so the 2020 season, that's the is that the year that um, is allegedly the tanking year, or is that it was 2019, right? God, I wish I could remember who sat the second half, remember, and they were like, well, I'm just playing some young no, guys. No, the, the Saints did that on the tank. It was suck for luck, and it ended up being Indianapolis, but it was obvious that the Saints were tanking. Um, and, and going through the backstretch of the Dolphins season in 2019, um, they're losing to the Giants, they're losing to the Jets, they beat the Bengals, and then they beat the Patriots to end the season. But in looking at their schedule, it was there, did he get an extra hundred grand for losing to the Jets or losing to the Giants? That was in December, down the stretch, whenever they're trying to battle to get Tua, the tank for Tua season. Just, I mean, that's one way to prove it to be true. If you can show the the extra hundred thousand dollar bonus and where it came from. Well, I'm he, not saying that, that he he's, said, he's lying about I mean, it either. He indicated but. that he wanted no part of it. Yeah, he 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 wasn't paid it. He said he was offered the hundred thousand dollars from uh, and he was not. He was above that. From an integrity standpoint, he was going to win. But they lost anyway. That's what I'm saying. Like well, he's hey. trying. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I said it earlier, but he's going to have to provide some emails or text yeah. that clearly states or witnesses. Well, they may Stephen be Ross saying it or someone on his behalf saying, we're going to give you $100,000 per loss, and that's the smoking gun. If he's got that, he, he's got something. He's got something. He's got something. Coming up, the end of an era that – in, in going individually, I didn't piece it all together until I saw uh, a graphic of quarterbacks and what this week signifies. That's next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Our Kick 360 rolls on live from 6th and Peabody, home to the most visited distillery in the world. Old Smoky, Moonshine, Yeehaw Beer, 5.7 million visitors in 2021. That's more than Scotland's distilleries combined, more than Scotland's distilleries and Kentucky distilleries combined. Amazing uh, accolades with Old Smoky and Yeehaw. Congratulations on that award last week. They also have a new winter beer on draft with Yeehaw. Oatmeal Raisin Cookie Stout. Wow. I want to try. They also have the cherry limeade seltzer. The cherry limeade seltzer. They've also got good. these igloos outside in the, the, yeah. the beer garden that are really this. cool uh, that we need to try out. We're, sla- we're, we're slacking, boys. We're slacking. So, um, and I, I mean, it's, it's obvious that we're, we've reached the end of a quarterback era. But when you consider the recent retirements this year and how 
at least I feel like it was undersold the significance of the careers during the season. Uh, Roethlisberger, we knew he was retiring. At least everyone thought he was going to be done in Pittsburgh. But he made it official week 17 or week 18 on that Monday night game where it was obvious. Uh, live on TV, he was done. And then officially made the announcement. This past weekend, news comes out on Brady. It makes the announcement. But when you look at the quarterbacks and the the quarterback era that we went through where, I mean, nine times out of ten, you would place your money on Brady, Roethlisberger, uh, just going through the list, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Eli Manning, Phillip Rivers. I mean, that was the core group of the league. And now that wave is out within the last two years, primarily. And insert the next group. And all those quarterbacks are in the AFC right now. It's crazy to think about. And I really feel like uh, Aaron Rodgers will be the official conclusion of that era. Because Aaron Rodgers was definitely a contemporary of, not not at the same era exactly, but contemporary of Brady, of Manning, the Manning brothers, Roethlisberger, Rivers. So when he retires, that's the end of one era. And then I feel like there's this drop-off to Russell Wilson, who's kind of in his own little stratosphere uh, of a guy of his age and his accomplishments. And then you get to Hutton, what you're talking about with Mahomes and Allen and the group that's on the come up right now. Yep. That's going to be the next elite group that we're talking about every week that's going to be playing nationally televised games. It's funny because there was a, a moment of concern there. I remember us talking about it, like, uh, what's going to happen after, after Rodgers, after Breeze, after you know Brady's going to last a long time, but what's going to happen you after know that, him? And, that talk, and, Paul, was really in 2019 where, based on the, the production of Brady in New England, you know, there was talk of, is he going to retire or is he going to play for another organization? Like, th- that was still... It, 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 we got sense that he wanted to play more, but it was still up in the air on what he might do. Does he want to retire and play his full career with New England and just call it quits? Giselle at that time was just as much saying, hey, I don't want you to play anymore as she was this year. And he kept you know, he kept it churning and played much better than he did in 2019. But when you look at it, then the, the group in totality, that's what stands out is not, it wasn't just Brady retiring or Roethlisberger retiring. It's the end of the quarterback era of the last, what, three, you know, last 25 years. If you combine everything and all the championships that were, uh, th- that were won. And, and Brady's, what, is Brady the only quarterback to have won a title in three different decades? I believe I that's so. right. Yep. I mean, th- that dominance was throughout. And as you look back on it, it's now that next group. And we're about to have another quarterback added to it based on the winner next Sunday. I think it all starts with Peyton Manning being drafted in 1998. And then you go through the years. It was, uh, what, 2000 with Tom Brady. And then, you know, a few years after that, Eli Manning, Phillip Rivers in the same draft. Yep. A year or two after that, maybe one year ben after Roethlisberger that. Ben Roethlisberger was in Ben Roethlisberger. Was he in that? Yeah, he same was in the draft. same draft. That's Hell right. Draft. And then three years after that, Aaron Rodgers, or two or three years, I think it was 05. And now uh, Breeze also in there in 2000, I want to say, 99, 2000. So, it's but like 20, this is the great, great news for the NFL. The moment that Aaron Rodgers calls it quits and it's the official end of that group 
of 25 years of quarterback play. Yes. You've got Russell Wilson being the old man, leading this group right behind him that we're going to be talking about that's probably equally, maybe, not right now, but with a few more years, equally as compelling as those then, guys. Mahomes, Mahomes is what? Going into year five now. He'll be six, seven, eight years in. So it's not like it's all newcomers. Uh, I mean, he'll be well, well, well. I mean, I he's think, already well established, but he'll be seven, eight years in. That's right. way in. But I, I think what this year did with, with the Chiefs' loss to the Bengals, and maybe I'm overthinking it, but I, I think for the sales pitch of this, I'm not. What what that loss signified is there is another quarterback that will be on the same shelf as Mahomes, whether you like it or not. Maybe not winning yeah. at the same level, but the same number of championships. Same number of Super Bowls. And that's that's ultimately what we're defined by whenever we start this quarterback discussion, right? It's championships. Right. There'll be two Mahomes of them. had a chance to separate himself from everyone yeah. with another one. With third straight Super Bowl, two titles in three years. I mean, that's that's... You're off to the races yeah, there. It's not and just that. There'll be two of them with one, and then a whole slew of guys who are only one big season away from yeah, being and, the third one with one. Yeah, and we're already saying Josh Allen's on that tier. Now Burrow or Stafford gets to join them. You know, right. that's that's what it means, is it you've added another face to the logo. And another guy Stafford, breaks through Wilson, next year. Stafford, Wilson, I put in that same next group of early 30s guys that have you yeah. know five or six years left that First, are now the old men. After these guys, crazy to think of the first losing season for Russell Wilson in a decade happened this year with Seattle. Headlines when we return on Outkick 360.